T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. And welcome to Overnight America. Too bad for those Cardinals, but... Hopefully tomorrow they'll be able to turn that back around. So we have a couple hours live tonight, and I'm happy to be with you. If you want to reach us online, you can. Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook. I also have the text line up and running at uh, 314-436-7900. So, of course, we're going to talk about the verdict and what happened earlier in Minneapolis today. We're going to talk to Brad Young in the next segment about that. But since we're coming off the Cardinals game, I received this clip from producer Mike, and he said, this is the play of the game. Here's It's the biggest play in the biggest moment of the Cardinals game today. And he said, don't listen to it first, just play it. So I thought, okay, let's take a listen. Along with Ricky Orton, I'm John Rooney. Mike Claiborne is here. He'll be a part of the post-game show with Kevin Wheeler. Michael Langston is our in-booth assistant. Jim Jackson, our producer engineer. And Mike Anderson, marvelous Mike in the studio in St. Louis. Wait, so that's the clip of the night? When John Rooney called you Marvelous Mike? <laughs> okay, I kind of get it. I get it. I get it. It's a nice way to start it up. You know, that's going to be on his voicemail when you call him Marvelous Mike. In- Marvelous Mike. Full endorsement from uh, John Rooney there. Marvelous Mike in the studio in St. Louis. Marvelous Mike in a studio in St. Louis. That is actually a really nice, has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Marvelous Mike. Not too bad. All right. I guess now we're going to have to do something serious, huh? That's just the way things go. I thought I'd try that at least when it was slightly appropriate there. So much to get to when it came to the verdict. And the verdict that happened today in Minneapolis is that Derek Chauvin, three guilty counts, all three found guilty. When the jury deliberated, it was for what was a relative short amount of time. I think they said 10 hours, but it was probably less than that. And when you have a case like this, a pretty uh, complicated and large case and have some implications to it, normally when uh, when the jury gets back together, that normally means if it's quick, they probably all agree and all agree in one way. It's normally the prosecution would be dancing and be happy. And that seemed to be the case, getting three guilty verdicts for Derek Chauvin. So actually, we're going to be talking to Brad Young about this in the next segment, what happens next. But if you missed it from earlier today, here is how it read 
inside of the courtroom as the verdicts were being told. Um, State of Minnesota, County of Hennepin, District Court, 4th Judicial District, State of Minnesota Plaintiff versus Derek Michael Chauvin, Defendant. Verdict, count one. Court file number 27, CR 20-12646. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.44 p.m. Signed, juror four-person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count two. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count two, third-degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.45 p.m. Signed by jury four-person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count three. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count three, second-degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.45 p.m. Jury four-person, 019. And I've been watching coverage from CBS News, and I think mostly they're picking up from Minneapolis, the WCCO is the big affiliate that's there. And I'm watching some of the different video footage of the news anchors and they're doing different standups and they're outside some of them on top of buildings, I think for their own safety, but what they're, it's hard to tell. I don't see a lot of violence happening on the streets of Minneapolis tonight. I, I don't know if it would have gone the other way. Let's say if there was a not guilty on any of the counts or all three of them, I think maybe very quickly you'd have seen the mindset quite different. But right now, I, it, well, this is what they show. For the most part, how the news coverage of Minneapolis is playing this out. The news coverage shows here's the usual suspects, as in we're going to fly into town and we're going to talk about this and then we're going to fly out because we really don't care about the community. We're just uh, opportunists. So you see the same usual suspects when it comes to that. There's some people that are on the streets from uh, and in fact, they're doing a live shot right where the incident happened in front of that uh, convenience store. It says Cup Foods. There's a makeshift mural and um, a lot of people out in the street. I would say a couple of hundred people, but most of them just standing around. So it doesn't look like there is a, a large groups of people that are out to attack police or anything like that tonight, which is a great sign, which is actually very, very good. I hope that doesn't change. I hope that through the course of the week, things like that doesn't change. I hope there's not more people that are trying to provoke or force the hand in that matter, trying to stoke the fire. I guess we'll see. But a lot of this has to do with, here's what happened earlier today. Here's when the verdict was read. Here's what people think about it. And yeah, it's just a lot of people that are out right now. So I think that's the best case scenario for Minneapolis right now. Best case scenario. Even here in St. Louis and other major metropolitan cities, they were prepping for it. St. Louis police set up some barricades outside of the uh, headquarters downtown, knowing that if there were going to be different ways that the verdict came out, that there would could be um, people that marched to the downtown uh, headquarters. And that happens quite frequently. In fact, it happens all the time whenever there's an incident that goes on, nationally speaking. So I don't know if that's being used here in St. Louis all that much. I haven't seen many reports of it online. How about this? We're going to take a break. And when we come back, Brad Young from Harris Dahl, Fisher & Young. He's a partner of the firm. I wanted to talk to him about the verdict, the reaction, what happens next, some of his impressions, things that he thinks is being underreported, things like that. And then we could take some of your calls if you want to talk about it. And we'll do that after 
you know, about 1035 ish, somewhere in there. This is Overnight America KMOX. Earning St. Louis's trust for 96 years. This is KMOX. He's a partner at Harris Dow Fisher and Young to talk about the verdict that came in today in Minneapolis. Brad Young, how are you? Doing great, Ryan. Thank you. So it was breaking news there for a while, waiting for the verdict. And considering that the deliberation from the jury was something that only took, you know, several hours as opposed to a couple of days, a lot of people use that as an indicator that it's looking like a guilty verdict. And that's the way it turned out. The three counts uh, found guilty on all three. And I kind of wanted to talk to you about this process. And if we were to back up just a couple of days, you had over the weekend, Maxine Waters make some comments that found its way into the courtroom as the two sides were debating to the judge if this would constitute a mistrial, considering that she was calling for violence if they didn't go a certain way. And ultimately, they decided to say no on that. So leading to where we are today, I'm curious, um, considering that there was three guilty verdicts, what does that mean for the prosecution? If that's a big advantage that there was three guilty verdicts, what does that mean for the defense? And is there a possibility in the future that something like this could get thrown out if they do make an argument that whatever comments from Maxine Waters or outside sources may have contributed to what deliberation? Well, that's a great question. And before I dive into it, I do need to tell you one other thing. Uh, there's, there, there, it's interesting about juries is that you mentioned that the jury deliberation only took a, a few hours. It was probably far shorter than what was actually reported because juries are notorious for if they reach a verdict before lunch, they won't announce the verdict until after lunch so that the court buys them a free lunch. <laughs> Can you so blame them? The, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So, so, so since the verdict came... They announced the verdict after lunch. Chances are it was reached well before lunch, but they didn't want to announce it too quickly so they could get that free ham and cheese and a pickle from the deli. Uh, of course. But you know what? I really can't blame them. They've asked a, We ask a lot of their time in a high-profile case like this. You might as well give them an extra lunch. <laughs> give them a lunch. No, it's not a problem. But I just wanted to throw that in there. But no, you asked a, bunch of, you asked a very uh, a, a great question, and I want to break it down. I, I look at this, and I say that the prosecution did a very good job. They did an excellent job. Of course, they had a team of about eight attorneys, and the defense had a team of one attorney. So if you look at it just from that perspective, the prosecution, they did a fabulous job. They presented the evidence in a way uh, that was understandable, uh, that was extremely persuasive. And for the prosecution's perspective, it was very good that they had all the video and all of the witnesses, I mean, this was, this was a, an excellent job of prosecuting uh, an accused defendant, a now convicted defendant, and, I, and they did an excellent job. There's no doubt about it. Uh, in, in terms of an appeal, I, I see three grounds, main grounds for an appeal on this case, on the Derek Chauvin case. The first deals with the judge's refusal to change venue. Mm-hmm. Repeatedly, the judge was asked by the defense team we want to change a venue to move it someplace outside of Minneapolis. At every point in time, those motions were denied. Mm-hmm. Even when, uh, even when uh, uh, Dante Wright was shot, in, right in the suburbs of Minneapolis, uh, we know that all those jury members undoubtedly heard about that uh, because the judge also refused to. Uh, instruct the the jury members to stay away from all media. He just said, don't watch the news. Mm -hmm. But you couldn't get away from it. You could not escape it. 
And so the first ground of appeal would be the refusal to change venue. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I see here is a refusal to sequester the jury. You know, had the jury been sequestered, they wouldn't have been impacted by the uh, Dante Wright shooting. They wouldn't have been impacted by the Maxine Waters statements. They wouldn't have been impacted by any of those had the jury been sequestered. Mm -hmm. But the judge refused to do that, too. And and thirdly is the the way that the jury instructions were written. And this is complicated. I'm not going to do a deep dive into the weeds over this. I've read all 14 pages of jury instructions that were given to the jury. And there are some issues there in the, the application of Minnesota law. So my point, just to wrap it all up, to answer the question, I see three main ground heel and, uh, and in this case is long from being concluded. When it comes to the prosecution side, people were commenting that since it was guilty on all three counts, that gave them a lot more, uh, I guess, upper hand, mostly because if there were some not guilty, it would have meant that perhaps he couldn't have been retried in the future. So let's say some of those other ones go off the table. But in this case, is there three separate charges that the defense would have to go and try to make a claim for all of those three things? I mean, would they have to try to make the case for all three, or is it all lumped together into one case if they were to try to appeal? Yeah, it would be one appeal on all three counts. Mm-hmm. They, they would they would be one single appeal. And for example, uh, most of the issues, at least two of the three appellate issues that I outlined, would all apply to all three counts equally mm-hmm. uh, with regard to the refusal to change the venue or the judge's refusal to sequester the jury. That applies equally to all three counts. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the one issue with regard to the jury instructions, I think that would really only apply to the third-degree murder charge, Mm -hmm. and so that would be a separate element of the appeal, but it would still all be a single appeal that would be filed with the Minnesota Court of Appeals. Right. So what happens to Derek Chauvin now? So basically, is he, I heard, no bail. I saw that towards the end. So he's basically awaiting sentencing, or do some of these different arguments for a retrial come in before sentencing? Well, there would be about a 30-day time period for post-trial appeals, and those things take time. But he could be sentenced very quickly, and, and those things can occur concurrently. And speaking of concurrently, that's the other thing that needs to be, to be highlighted here, Ryan, is that even though Derek Chauvin was convicted on three separate charges, the time served would be concurrently. So in other words, if he's if he is sentenced to 10 years on charge one and 10 years on charge two and four years on charge three, those are not, you don't add those up together. Mm -hmm. Those would be served uh, consecutively or concurrently rather, not sequentially. So chances are the maximum amount of time he would serve, even if all of these convictions stand would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 years. Okay. In the case of the actual length of the sentence, is that determined by the jury as well, or is that something the judge puts together? That's something that the judge puts together. Mm -hmm. Because under sentencing guidelines, uh, he has to take a lot of things into consideration, uh, and and there's there's elements under Minnesota law that, that they have to be met in order to either uh, give them the maximum sentence or detract from the sentence, maximum sentence. So that's something that only the judge would do. I see. So here on out, the case uh, seemed to be, you know, I got to say pretty quick because this event happened, was it last year? 
Um, last that, summer, yes. Last summer. This seems pretty quick to wrap things up. Normally, I, you would think about trials like these lasting a couple of years or before you would actually get to everything. Well, I think this is one of those rare instances, Ryan, where COVID probably sped up the process hmm. uh, because there weren't other trials going on. This was such a, a large and impactful trial that there weren't probably weren't a lot of other court settings that they had to work around to get this scheduled quickly. Um, also, most of the evidence that the prosecution developed uh, was well known. Mm-hmm. It was evidence from videos. It was people that were identified in videos. So there wasn't, uh, uh, you know, they didn't have to, you know, hire Magnum PI to go out and question witnesses and come up with some evidence. Uh, it was all laid out fairly quickly. So yes, I think this was your classic definition of a speedy trial, and we've seen it played out on a national stage. And I don't know this for sure, but the other officers that were charged with different uh, crimes, uh, I don't know if there's been um, verdicts for their cases or not, but if you were someone that's defending them and you see three guilties for Derek Chauvin, um, what kind of things change in your mind? Do you think like, oh boy, this isn't going to be good for my client? Or do do you think any of this would reflect on the other officers? Well, it does reflect on the other officers because now the issue of whether uh, whether the death was the direct result of the police activities has been at least conclusively established. Mm-hmm. So in the subsequent trials, that fact would not have to be conclusively established. However, now you're going to see the other police officers argue what's called the empty chair. Mm-hmm. The empty chair is, is that you blame the guy who's not in the room. And so now it would allow the other attorneys uh, for the other defendant police officers to argue that this was all Derek Chauvin's doing. They didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, They didn't agree with what he was doing. It allows them to argue the empty chair. So there's both a good aspect and a negative aspect that this conviction has come down today with regard to the cases for the other officers that are still yet to be prosecuted. All right. Um, and is there anything up? It, it seems like there's been so much said on it. Is there anything that um, your surprise was under the radar? Yeah, uh, the the thing that that has really not been brought up here, Ryan, is that is that this is not the end of the road for even trials for Mr. Chauvin, because undoubtedly there will be uh, federal charges probably brought against him, maybe civil rights charges brought against him. And now that he's been convicted in state court, it makes it easier for federal authorities to also file charges. So uh, so Derek Chauvin's days of being in a courtroom are only beginning. So cases like the um, Floyd family, you know, kind of like with the O.J. Simpson thing. So after the trial was over, the, the Nicole Brown's family came after O.J. Uh, for the civil side. It's kind of one of those situations where the family could come after him? Well, no, it would be federal authorities because... Keep in mind, Derek Chauvin was charged and convicted under state law, but the federal authorities could also charge him with a civil rights violation and could prosecute him criminally under federal charges in addition to the state charges that he's now been convicted of. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how closely did you follow this case, or were you mostly just looking at the recaps? Uh, I was was reading recaps, but I was also uh, listening to transcripts of some of the witness testimony and uh, I, I did listen to large portions of the closing arguments because that's where you can find the best summation of all the evidence in the closing arguments. Now, they were very lengthy. I, ca- I can't tell you that I listened to all of it 100 percent, 
But that was an excellent recap of the evidence that was presented during the course of the of the two-week trial. One last uh, thing, and Brad Young from Hairstyle Fisher & Young. I'm curious with the recaps, the defense, the transcripts, all of those things. Was this mainly decided on the video evidence and everything that was brought forward from the witnesses, or was there a component where they said race played a factor, as in Derek Chauvin was you know, motivated by race? And because a lot of the times when you see the aftermath, it begins a national discussion about race and policing. I'm curious, during the case in what you saw and listened to, at least the, por- the parts that you've seen, was that a factor as part of the case itself, or was that not a factor? You know, that's an excellent distinction, Ryan. Uh, as far as the recaps and the summations that I read and listened to, the uh, I, I think that we're primarily based on two things and two things alone, video evidence mm-hmm. and the coroner reports, mm-hmm. uh, combined with the testimony from uh, the police, uh, the person, the police chief who testified that the, the act of putting a knee on a neck was not considered to be within the reasonable bounds of police conduct. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't hear a great deal of race-based evidence mm-hmm. presented at the hearing. But what you're seeing with the interpretation of the trial evidence is being filtered by race. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that there was a great deal of race-based evidence presented at the trial itself. Okay. Yeah, and I was curious about that because it's, it's a lot of times these cases are boiled down to just that. And I know that a lot of cities are bracing, and Minneapolis, I'm sure, is bracing for it based on the way people are going to be taking this. Um, it's very interesting. So, Brad Young, Hairstyle Fisher and Young, partner there. I'm so glad you took some time. Thank you for joining us tonight to talk about the case. My pleasure, as always. Brad joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Get the inside story on what's happening with your St. Louis Cardinals this season directly from the Redbirds manager. It's the Mike Schilt Show, Sunday mornings at 10-15, sponsored by Bath Fitter, on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. And welcome back. Thanks for joining us here on Overnight America. And we're getting some reaction 
to the verdict in Minneapolis from earlier. I saw one person texted in uh, the verdict uh, ridiculous only because the jury feared they would be responsible for all the rioting. I don't know if that's exactly true. I guess it depends on how impossible it is to not somehow catch wind of things like what Maxine Waters and some other people say. I don't think that is what mainly contributed to it, because if you have a you have a jury and they all go one way, you would think if that was the case, there would be someone at least one person that would hold things up. But that wasn't the case. So I don't really feel that was it. I don't think that was the determining factor. I think, if anything, the strongest piece of evidence that contributed to the guilty of all three counts was the video. That video is extremely compelling and very difficult and terrible to watch. And I think that really made it uh, nearly impossible for Derek Chauvin to find a not guilty across the board. Now, are we... You know, to me, I'm kind of surprised it was three counts guilty. I thought there would be one, maybe a not guilty in there, but very much so not guilty in all three. As you heard that Brad Young brought up, they run concurrent, meaning all three of them at the same time. It's not like the different sentences for the three different charges are stacked on top of each other. It's basically whatever the longest sentencing is, that's how long the actual jail time will be given there could be other circumstances. But maybe you think different on this. 314-436-7900. And Tyrone's calling in. Welcome to Overnight America. Oh, good evening, Ryan. Good evening. I didn't hear the, the ding or anything that let me know when I was on. Oh, is that's weird sometimes. Yeah, so what you're referring to, and I don't know, people. there's probably a lot of people that listen that have never called in, but what essentially happens is when you press the button to put you on the air, you hear this little ding, which transfers yeah. you to the on-air. Yeah, so it's only something that people that call in would know exists, so I, I see what you're saying. Well, first, uh, well, I have a comment and a question. Um, oh, my comment is, uh, you know, the... the, the uh, uh, the prosecution, you know, they said, they said, you know, trust, uh, trust what you see on the tape, you know, go with your, uh, what, what you see and, and what you think, you know, you know, when you were watching the, the, uh, the video of Chauvin with his knee on him mm-hmm. and now I, you know, I did. And I'll, every time I've ever seen that, you know, it, it looked to me like Chauvin, had his knee on the back of his neck and not the front of his neck. So, and, and also partially across the shoulder, maybe. So, right. I mean, I don't understand, I don't understand how he could have, I'm not sticking up for Chauvin, but I don't understand how he could have choked them like that. Yeah. I think that was something the defense brought up and they showed different camera angles and they tried to bring the point that there is a certain bias when it comes to videos. At times it doesn't show the, right picture and they they brought that up during the case i it doesn't sound like that landed as in it doesn't sound like it really reflected yeah. it doesn't sound like the jury really sunk into that i i don't know if they used um that part of the defense as enough to consider it heavily it's so difficult when you hear him screaming george floyd screaming mm-hmm. Yeah, on the ground like that I mean, it's you can't it's so hard i think if you're a jury to listen to those things and the prosecution brings it up to ignore that and it's you, there's a lot to overcome on the defense side and they were nowhere near it sounds like overcoming that you don't think it could have been a, a 50 50 thing with 
the knee across the back of the neck and their shoulder, and then maybe George Floyd had some substance abuse going on also, which contributed. Sure. Sure. I'm sure there's other things that contributed to it. Absolutely. Um, Now, given I don't think that if George Floyd was put into handcuffs and if he was in the back of the car as opposed to resisting, I don't think any of that would have happened. I don't think the amount of things that were in his system at the time would have contributed to him dying in the back of the cop car. Uh, I, I don't yeah. think that would have been it. So obviously the shelving part is the thing that tipped it over the edge. And that's when you start talking about responsibility. I don't, well, you know, I never got the, the, the thing about having the knee on him anyway, when he was handcuffed. I mean, why Didn't would he have to have a knee on him when he's cuffed? Yeah, he barely stand on his own, so I, I don't see him being a risk of running away. Sure, and uh, okay. I think that's all part of it, yeah. Now, you had a caller last night, and I'm sorry, uh, uh, I, I can't remember if it's Brian or Ryan. Is it Ryan? Yeah, Ryan. <laughs> okay. Well, it doesn't matter. I can call you Brian anyway. Um, you had a caller last night, and I want to know how the end of his story happened. And if he's listening, I want him to call up and say how it ended, and that was Jerome. Yeah, he called in at no, the because, very end of the show. What a story that is, too. Uh, yeah, I'm curious how it like, ended. That that has happened to me, you know, and that's why I want to know how it, how it ended with him. Okay, well, we could do a call-out. Thanks, Tyrone, for calling in. I, we can do a call-out to Jerome. I don't know if he's listening right now. It's strange. He just calls in randomly once in a while. I don't know if he just gets lonely and says, you know, I don't have anyone to talk to, so let's call into the show. I don't know if he actually listens to the show. He used to listen, but then he said his radio broke, so he doesn't listen. He just randomly selects a time to arbitrarily call in. So, I mean, he could be listening right now, which would be great. But at the end of last night's show, (laughs) this is such a strange thing. He was given a story about, he said he was at a Chinese buffet with his mom, and the rumbly bumbly start to hit. So he goes to the bathroom, and he's in the stall, when someone kept trying to bust into his stall while he was in there. And he said it was so disturbing that he had to get up and leave and go somewhere else. And I don't know how that story ends. And I don't know any other circumstances to that. I don't know if he confronted the person. The problem was we were out of time and it was the end of the show. And that was it. It was over. So maybe Jerome will be able to finish that. The thing is with uh, listeners, that's memorable. Do you really want to know how that ended? Can you say to yourself, I I could go the rest of my life knowing that the story is over there and I don't have to know how it ended. And then there's the part of you that wonders, yeah, I kind of do want to know. It's just uh, something else. 314-436-7900. It'd be nice to hear from you tonight. And there's a lot of different takes of the verdict from Minneapolis today with Derek Chauvin. There's one that may be the worst take of them all. It's Nancy Pelosi, who let me let me just play this real quick. And it's being called out as bizarre and rightfully so. Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice, for being there to call out to your mom. How how heartbreaking was that? Call out for your mom. I can't breathe. But because of you and because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice. You're- yeah, no, I'm just, it doesn't make sense. And it's, it is very bizarre because George Floyd, are you trying to equate him to a martyr for a cause? 
because I don't think that day he was out there fighting for a cause or anything. I don't think that he was out there, um, you know, doing anything that had any message attached to it. He was someone that was definitely on something. He went into a store, tried to pass a counterfeit bill. The shop owner called the police and said, I'm worried for this guy's safety. It's interesting because the shop owner said that he wasn't calling because he was upset that he stopped this counterfeit bill. He said, I'm worried that something's wrong with this guy. You need to do a welfare check. Police show up. He's uh, the uh, George Floyd is behind the wheel of the vehicle. Police come in and they say, we need you to step out and they get everyone else outside of the vehicle that were in there with him. And, you know, they kind of get the stories. He's handcuffed and he's waiting. They get him up and they go to take him to the police car. This is all what you can find on video. And they try to get him in the back. He resists and fights and will not get into the police car because he knows that if he goes to the police station, he's in some serious trouble, probably because of a past. Then eventually they get him on to the ground. They restrain him. And this is where you see Derek Chauvin with uh, George Floyd on the ground, him down with his knee on him. And then George Floyd dies on the street in front of all kinds of witnesses videotaped. Pretty terrible, ter a very difficult video and a terrible video to watch. All of these things. I don't look at that and say, why in the world would Nancy Pelosi go in front of a group and a part of a press conference and say, thank you for your part in all of this, George Floyd? That is just so weird and bizarre. And why would she think that way? Why would she go out and say, hey, um, we're, we're, you know, ultimately something good will come from this. So thank you, George Floyd. That doesn't make sense. It's just so strange. If anything, you can tell Nancy Pelosi is just taking advantage of this, looking at this opportunity, trying right. to stroke racial flames, trying to make it into something else. And that's kind of the M.O. for the leadership in the Democratic Party right now. They see something they can take advantage of and they're getting out in front of it. And that Maxine Waters the last couple of days. Why wasn't there more people that condemn the things she said inside of her own party? There should have been some people to say you shouldn't be out there threatening violence if the verdict goes a different way. This is not how we operate. This is not how things should go. Again, politicizing this sort of thing. Just a strange, bizarre thing uh, to add to the list of Nancy Pelosi's history. We'll take some more of your comments coming up next after the break. It's Overnight America, KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. You have a couple of minutes here if you want to call in at 314 436 7900 or 800-925-1120. I want to point out that on Newsmax, there was an interview with Captain David Dorn's widow talking about politicians pushing for violence and what her message is for that. In fact, maybe we'll do a clip from Sergeant Ann Dorn. Of course, the St. Louis significance with that interview. Quite compelling. We'll uh, play that in a couple of minutes. Let me play Barbara first, who's calling into Overnight America. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. I was just wondering, um, don't you think they should have more training the police on how to arrest a person? Because I think the most important thing that, you know, they need to know is how to arrest a person if they have to arrest a person. Mm -hmm. I think that there is a lot of training. It, and I think the thing that was pointed out during this time was he didn't use his training. He, he did something outside of what the protocol would be. So he acted in a way that was not uh, in compliance. So that, I think, goes to show you that 
sometimes officers can do things they're not supposed to and they're held accountable for it. I mean, this is, he went to trial and he was uh, uh, taken through uh, through this trial and found ultimately guilty. So that's, I think, what most times you see in cases that involve police officers, they try to make the argument that they were working inside of what the police department's protocols are. And then you see the other side say, no, they weren't acting within the protocol here too. I think the fact that you don't see too many police officers doing something like this goes to show you this is not how they train the officers. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. Thanks, Barbara. Uh, 314-436-7900. I wanted to play this because Captain Dorn here in St. Louis, when these riots first broke out across the country after the death of George Floyd, you saw some here in St. Louis, some pretty terrible nights, including one terrible night where there was, you know, let's burn a convenience store. Let's burn, uh, you know, trash in the street buildings. Let's uh, loot and steal and shoot at police and paramedics and fire and all of these things. Just a terrible, terrible display of violence on the streets of St. Louis. And uh, Retired Captain Dorn lost his life. All he was doing was helping a friend out. He had a pawn shop downtown, was asked to, you know, give a hand. He's confronted on the street, shot and killed. Well, as part of a live stream, his death was shown to the world. You, I was able to witness it that night. I said, oh, you won't believe what happened here on the streets of St. Louis. You saw this thing. Absolutely horrendous. Just a terrible night for police officers uh, getting shot, targeted, and things like that. All of which was... Uh, I guess championed by Maxine Waters, who wanted apparently a, another another round of it when she said that if these aren't uh, guilty verdicts, we need to get confrontational again. Just I guess I don't. Maybe she was just stating the obvious because I think most areas knew that would happen, depending on the way the verdict went. But nonetheless, very dangerous in the things that she was saying. So I wanted to play this real quick because on Newsmax, David Dorn's widow, Ann Dorn, spoke to the Newsmax anchor there talking about her message after all of this. If you would have a message for him at this moment, I said earlier in the show. Him uh, being Joe Biden in this case, President Biden. Moment, I said earlier in the show, I think he should be jumping up and down telling people to, you know, not riot. And I'm not getting that message, Mrs. Dorn. No, he, there should be a, a nationwide outcry for peace, uh, for calm, you know, wait for the verdict. Let the courts work this out. Um, we don't need any more lives lost. We don't need any more businesses destroyed, families torn apart. I mean, not only does our family suffer, but um, anybody who's known David, who's touched by him, who's ever worked for him, their life was torn apart. And then the young man who killed him, his family's now suffering because he's going away. You know, it just destroys too many people. Don't have much sympathy for the person that killed David Dorn. He should go away forever and, you know, throw the key away. Really, I don't see any redeeming factor in showing any mercy towards him. But let's look at this. Newsmax also had Brian, his son, on to discuss. Brian, uh, again, the lack of proactive, uh, you know, let's stop this uh, kind of positioning is baffling to me. Yeah, it, it is very baffling because uh, there's nothing wrong with going out peaceful protesting and everything. But when it turns to looting and rioting, that's something that we can't stand for. I mean, it's it's unnecessary. And a lot of people get hurt. And that fretful morning, June 2nd, uh, my dad lost his life because of some looting and rioting instead of peaceful protests. Yep. 
the looting, the rioting, the violence, just so terrible. And think about it if you're living in Minneapolis. If you are in that area, you're thinking, no way I'm leaving my house tonight. You're going and you're hunkering down. You're scared. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, and it, it's like with the pandemic and everyone said, you need to stay away from other people for your own good, your own safety. You looked at that and said, you know, I, I think I can be okay. But when instances like this, you think not a chance. You look at this and say, this is a, this is a realistic, realistic outcome of me being assaulted or killed if I'm found close to one of these places. It's very scary. If you're a law enforcement officer, police officer, think about how scared you would be in a night like this, knowing that you may leave the house and not come back to see your wife or husband or whatever. It's been a terrible, terrible situation to be in. The guilty verdicts, I think, I, some people, I, don't know, I only saw this headline. So maybe I shouldn't talk about this because I haven't actually watched the clip, but apparently on The Five tonight, and Greg Gutfeld was talking about this, was mentioning that, in a way, he was a little bit relieved knowing that with the guilty verdicts that it may calm down some of this violence. It, it, maybe we won't see buildings burning tonight. Maybe we won't see windows shattered. We won't see police targeted, shot, killed. Maybe across the nation, we won't see some of this. And it goes to show you, I'm watching CBS News, and I'm keeping an eye out, mostly because I want to know what's going on in Minneapolis. Is there going to be a reaction to this that is dangerous? And so far, it's been somewhat calm, which is good. We've seen people go into the streets, go to the actual location where George Floyd was killed, and then put flowers, talk to people, stand around, basically, makeshift vigil. But what you're not seeing are people going through downtown, smashing, burning, looting right now, which is good news. And at this moment, CBS News, who was covering this from Minneapolis, wall to wall, nonstop, has decided to actually look somewhere else. They're actually talking about uh, the coronavirus and they're talking to physicians at the University of Michigan Medical School. And they're all they're doing is going through and saying, OK, here's here's what's the, the latest with the coronavirus. So they've already moved past Minneapolis. I think that's the best case scenario to move past it and note, hey, we had a verdict here and things did not turn violent. That's a good note in my book. All right, when we come back right after the break, we're going to be talking to Tom Sullivan. There was something pretty significant that happened today at the county council meeting when it came to a potential audit of COVID funds. We'll talk to him about that up next on Overnight America KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.